0: How many of you guys like new things? We all like new things. I started. I was trying to think last night, like how can I best describe new? Like wh- wh- what does new smell like? I know we can go to a car wash and get a synthetic smell and make our car smell new again if we want. Or, but I thought like, you know, after the rain and you smell the earth, That that newness, that freshness, new. Growing up, I can remember it was a big day in the Jones house when dad came home with a box. And inside that box was a brand new VCR. (laughs) Holy moly, it was a game changer. Dad came home from work. Look what I got. I got one of these. He opens it up like, Great, what are we going to watch? He goes, Well, I got to read the instruction booklet like this. Just reading it, reading it. What do you do? All this kind of stuff going through it. You know, eventually it's like, Well, Dad, this has been great, but now I got to go to bed. So, Well, it'll be ready for tomorrow. I go to bed. I wake up. He's already awake. It's almost as if he's been up all night. I don't know. But he's like, Look what I did. Presses play. He recorded the nightly news, and he's like, "This is from last night. Look what we got!" And I'm like, "Dad, this is amazing. I'm going to show my friends after school. Brand new. That only lasts so long, right? Now we got DVD. I remember like a DVD player was like my first like adult buy. I mean, I was still living at home, but I remember like I'm buying that. Dad's not upgrading. I'm buying a DVD." Bring it home, and you, you, anyone who's into electronics, that's got a great smell too. Brand new electronics, Woo. I'm sure it's like poison, but <laughs> we smell it anyways. And I remember putting it up and my dad not being really, was just like, what? what is this? You're ruining the television. I'm like, dad, I'm not gonna ruin the television. It took me like five minutes to hook it up when it took you two hours, a whole lifetime to set up the VCR. <laughs> But new, we all like new, what was it like when God created the world? We have been in this series, Ah, I always always butcher the title, but it's what I learned, everything I need to know I learned in Sunday school, right, something like that, we're close. But we've been in this series, we started out in Genesis, the, the story of creation, And the newness. God was doing a new thing. He created heavens. He created earth. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. Everything was brand new. Humans, brand new. And He did it with the purpose of because He wanted to be our God and He wanted a people. That was His purpose. That was His end goal. And that sadly didn't last long. Then we get to the fall. And that all kind of went away. But instead of just starting over, like what we would do, right? I'd start over. Instead of starting over, he put into a plan. And he said, This plan is going to be the serpent crusher. He's going to crush evil and he's going to reconcile the world. And then later on we get to to, to Abraham, and God meets him and it says, it's Through you, I'm going to create a people. And it's through you I'm going to save everyone. And he says that every single family will be blessed through you. That's a promise. And then we go a little bit further and we we get to the story of David. That's a classic story we hear from Sunday school. David and Goliath, David the king. And for a glimpse, the earth gets to see what God wants. God has a people. He has a king after his own heart, a king that is for God and we have a temple, we have a place where God is physically on this earth that people can go to. And that doesn't last long either. But it wasn't supposed to, it never was supposed to. God said, yeah, that's, that's great for the moment, but the ultimate is that, remember, every family will be blessed through you. And then we get to Jesus, and on Christmas morning, we get the baby that is going to change the world, that is going to reconcile the world. And then we have the kingdom of Jesus. And then we have the church, the age of the church, which is what we're living in now. Last week, Pastor Mandy talked about that, the church's place, and, and how, <clears throat> how we are in this time, and what we're supposed to be. Because now, ever since the book of Revelation was written, we're in the end times. I know we like to think of like, oh, the end times, it's, it's coming, it's out there. No, it's, it's now, and it's been that way for a very long time. You know, it's funny to think, because we've been going over these like Sunday school stories, these classic Sunday school stories, and we don't really talk about revelations upstairs. I mean, think about it, Do you, any, those who went to Sunday school, was that a thing? Like, when you were a kid? I mean, you hear of heaven, and you hear of the end, and you hear of what, what God wants, but you never hear about the crazy monster that's coming out of the sea and the dragon that's there to devour a baby, (laughs) right? We don't teach that stuff because it will terrify them, (laughs) right? But speaking anew, I can remember, again, I was fortunate and blessed that I don't ever remember a time in my life just not believing in God, that there was always a God, there was always Jesus, he died for our sins so that someday we can be in heaven. But I remember the day that I learned about the end, And how like enthralled I was with it. I was like, "Whoa, this is so cool!" And I'm like, reading it up and down, Revelations. Like, what a rapture! What is this? God's gonna take a dragon, a Babylon. What? And then being so confused and not knowing any of this. (laughs) But then you get older and you go to Christian bookstores, and there's like a whole section of like end time revelation. This guy has the answer. No, this guy has the answer. No, this guy has the answer. And then you're even more confused. But yeah, there's something about this book, right? Something that intrigues us, something that we want to learn, something we want to know. When I was a youth pastor <clears throat> and I would send out, like, I asked, hey, so anything you guys want me to learn? Hands down. Oh, we want to learn about Revelations. Okay, anything else, guys? Anything? <laughs> I mean, how about we just take a vote? And you, you know, you'd you read the, the votes, like, okay, Revelation, Revelation. Oh, one gospel. And it's like one kid, like, usually it's the pastor kid. Uh, no, no. <laughs> That's nice, but everybody wants Revelation. And there's so much to this book. There's so much that we don't know because it's the one book in the Bible that talks about the future, right? I mean, there's other books in the Bible that talk about it too, but, but this is one. It's the focus. And there's so much we really we don't know. I, do, I remember telling the kids, like, you want to know something about Revelations? This is what I can tell you. God wins, and then if you're ever around anyone that tells you that they know the date and the time, run from them, because they're crazy. No. <laughs> but I love it. I, I, I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, and we're going to talk about really what I feel like the, the main point of Revelation is today. Um... And there's so much more and there's so much like controversy and, you know, maybe we can believe this and, and some of it, yeah, like, yeah, this scripture will allow us to go that way or go this way. And, and that's okay because we're still trying to figure it out. And you ever want my opinion on that? We'll go get coffee. We'll talk about it because like I said, I love talking about that stuff. But today I can only talk about it with what we know, with what God wants us to know now. So Revelation... It's the only book that comes with a blessing, that you are a blessed person if you read this book. If you read it, and try to understand it, and try to live by it, you will be blessed, which I think is pretty cool. And think of it at the time. John is writing this book, he has this vision, he's getting this download from God about what to write down. And why was this book a blessing to others? Because the church was under immense persecution at the time, Almost to the point, like, it could be that this isn't going to make it. But because, obviously, the God of the universe was behind it, it was going to make it. But they didn't know that. And this book provided hope. This book provided a blessing. And they needed to read what the end goal was going to be. And we're still in that, that world. We're still in that time. Where we need hope, amen? We need to know what is this all about? And so there's three points I want to focus on on what I think the book of Revelation, the point of the book of Revelation is. And the first is this. Jesus is the Lord of the church. The Lord of the church. This book opens up in the first couple chapters letters written written to churches there's seven churches and i briefly just want to go over it because i think it's so cool because all these letters they talk about who jesus is what jesus knows about that church what he has against or what he likes about that church and what they need to do it's like almost like a church report card <laughs> all right so he starts with ephesus Jesus describes himself. He says, I am the ultimate authority. And he says, I know the works of your church, and I know that you've lost your first love. You've lost it. I don't know what that is. I don't know if the first love is God. I don't know if the first love is his people. I don't know. It could be both, but whatever it is, they don't have it. And this church is functioning in that way. And so God says, you need to just get back to your basics. Get back to the reason why you do the things that you do on why we're here. And then he talks to the church of Smyrna and he says I am the first and I am the last. And he says I know the poverty and the abuse that is happening in your city and in your church. He says however you are rich spiritually. You are rich in leadership. I see you. And you've got it. And he says this is what you need to do. Don't fear because a second death isn't going to touch you. Don't fear. Then per, to uh, Perganum, Jesus says, I am the sword. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. I'm the sword, the double-edged sword. He says, here's what I know about your church, that you, your church, dwells where Satan's throne is. He says, but you hold fast to my name, you hold fast to who I am, but here's what I have against you. You're holding on to false doctrine. You're holding on to false ideas about me and about how I want my church to move forward. And you got to get rid of it. So repent or fight me because he is the sword. I don't want to be on the other end of that. The other one is Thyatra. Jesus says, I am the Son of God with eyes of flame. And I know your church is one of love and service and faith. However, there's a Jezebel among you. Now, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't think in this church there was like a poor old woman with the name Jezebel. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know. No, I think it's the spirit in which some, what was going on in the church. So he used a specific name that was used all the way back in the Old Testament To say, look, there is someone that is deceiving you and seducing you away from me to follow other idols. Get that spirit out. Cut it out. Get it together. Cast it out. Then Sardis. Jesus says, I am the master of every spiritual power. He says, I know your reputation I know your church is one of life and vitality. It's a busy church. There are meetings happening all the time, people coming and going. You got things going on. However, you're dead. You're a dead church. How good is a dead person in a battle? Not very good. Just kind of lays there. He says, you're dead. You You are no threat to the enemy. No threat says, what you need to do, protect and strengthen. And then another, then to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says, I am holy and true. And he says, you serve God well, so much so that I'm going to open a door and I'm going to hold it open so that nothing can close it. People from all over are going to know God and me because of you. And he said, This is what I'm going to do for you. He says, The synagogue, he actually says, The synagogue of Satan that is bothering you, that is oppressing you, they will worship at your feet. I will vindicate you. You will be made right. And they will worship at your feet. Look at that authority that God gave them. And lastly, Laodicea. Jesus says, I am faithful and true. He says, however, what I know about you is that you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And the Bible says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He says, you have spiritual poverty, but you say that you're rich. You're just kind of going along with the flow. He says, what you need to do is that you need to take what I give you. You need to take my power and run with it. Now, look, I don't know what the deal with these, with these letters are. I don't know. They're obviously important, right? So I don't know if these are specific churches in Asia at this right at that specific time, or if it's the the history of the church all through history. I don't know. But I'm sure you can find churches that kind of fit this bill right now, right? Not only that, but let's take it to us. I'm sure there are people that fit this bill right now, right? It's funny, you know we. It's not funny. It's sad when we get when we hear the stories of churches or pastors that have like a falling out of grace or, or things going on. But at the same time, in the end times, God's gonna clean His house. God's gonna clean His church, and He's doing the same thing He did back then. Because everything He said to these churches, it wasn't like okay you're done. No, He gave them a way out, and He gave them if, if you obey, there's a reward. He gave them all that chance. And we're still kind of doing that today because he is the Lord of the church. The next thing about Revelations is that Jesus is the lion over the nations, the lion over the nations. Revelations 19, 11 says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With the justice, he judges and, and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that nobody knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I find it so interesting that God's army is dressed in white. It's like, you're about to enter into battle. You're going to get dirty. And Jesus said, no, I have you in white just for looks because there's not going to be much of a battle. I'm going to before you, and I'm going to battle for you. You're just there. Watch what I can do. And we're going to watch, we're going to watch this lion. We're going to watch what everyone thought in, in, in the New Testament, in the beginning of the New Testament, what Jesus was going to be, this lion that was going to come. And quite frankly, it's probably going to be terrifying because we live in this tension with God. That yes, God is going to clean house. God is going to make things right. God is not going to put up with the evil of this world but yet he's so full of mercy and so full of grace. It's this tension. But on this day, we see the lion. On this day, like I said, it's going to be terrifying. He's going to get rid of the beast. He's going to get rid of Babylon. Satan is going to be defeated. And then there's going to be a white throne that is going to come. And just for the sheer might and holiness of this throne, that the earth and... and And the heavens can't even stand by it and it flees. It will be terrifying. However, the last thing, Jesus is the lamb among his believers. It ain't gonna be terrifying for us. He is the lamb among believers. And now here we are in the 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 the, the, the kind of the, the focus of today. uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. I tell you, this is such a beautiful point of Scripture. One that I feel like when we think Revelations, we don't even think about this. We don't. At least I don't. But it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. I have to read this again, because this is the point of everything. Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It was the point of creation. It is what God always wanted. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, I, it is done. I am the alpha, I am the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He is the lamb among believers. Do we do with that that's it that's the goal everything that we have read every every week that we have studied about about what we the, the plan the ultimate plan was to get god with his people look there is so much about heaven that we're not going to know we're not going to understand there is so much that god has hidden and has held back for us for when we're there But I feel like we kind of get a little insight into what heaven's going to be like there in that final scripture. So what is heaven? Number one, it's the world made right. There's no pollution. There's no brokenness in people. There's no allergies. (laughs) Amen to that? There's none of that. Isaiah will say that, that the wolf and the lamb will eat together. They'll eat grass, the bear and the ox. Is nature made perfect. No tornadoes, no lightning storms, even though that was really cool the other night, but, <laughs> but nature is perfect. It's not attacking us anymore. It's at peace. There's a, a theologian named Augusta, and he wrote this, he wrote this uh, when he was kind of with, uh, it was at the end of the Roman Empire, and he's sitting on the Mediterranean. How many of you guys have been to the Mediterranean or seen the Mediterranean in person? Oh, wow, that's more than first service. That's awesome. We're all jealous of you. Hopefully someday we can see that too. All right? But he's sitting there, and he's watching the sunset on the Mediterranean, and he says this. If these beauties are afforded to sinful men, then what does God have in store for those who love him? Think about every beautiful thing you have seen on this planet. Every beautiful thing, every sunset, every picturesque scenery, every colorful animal. Sinful men can enjoy those things too. But for those who love Him, what does God have in store for us? And we will see that when the world is made right. The other thing is this, perfect community. Perfect community we will have in heaven. It talks about how a city will come down. And it's a city, right? We're all gonna live together in a city. And the introvert in me is like, well, that doesn't sound fun, right? (laughs) I don't know about that, but that's okay because we're gonna have perfect community, All right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with introverts, but I'm just saying the stuff that gives me anxiety, I ain't gonna have that no more. That's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be, it, it, think about it, there's gonna be no more isolation. That's what God, I think God chose to say. You're not gonna be off on your own. Perfect community with God, perfect community with mankind. And the thing is, it will be the first perfect community this world has ever seen. Why? Because Adam and Eve never really got to get, we never got that far. They had perfect community with God, but not with believers. We'll have it one day. Perfect community. The other thing is companionship with God. Number three, heaven will be companionship with God. Spurgeon says that the glory of Eden was not in the physical beauty of the luscious fruits, but that Adam had companionship with the most high God. Again, it's all that God ever wanted from the beginning. Companionship. To not really walk before us or behind us, but to walk side by side with us. Companionship. You see, there's not going to be no temple or a church in the new city. It's not, because the whole place is whole places, companionship with God. It's God's plan. And the last one, number four, what's heaven like? Everything will be made new. I don't know where we come up, or at least me, where I came up with this idea of heaven just being someplace on the clouds. Probably cartoons, right? Cartoons did me wrong. But it's not going to be like that. It's probably going to be very similar to what we have now, but perfect. It's going to be the Earth, but perfect. I don't know. Maybe the Grand Canyon's still going to be there. I don't know, but it's going to be a brand new world that we will have to enjoy. You know, again, going back to the whole cloud thing, we tend to think the heaven. Okay, we'll be heaven. We're going to have a harp and a wings. And we're going to be up there. And I'm like, I don't even play guitar. It's going to be boring. I'm not excited for that heaven, right? I don't think boredom was ever part of God's plan. We were never supposed to be bored. I feel like that is a result of sin, of the fall, right? It's funny, like my kids, we took my kids to the aquarium a couple weeks ago. And they were all about it. They're like, oh, look at this fish. Look at that fish. They're running back and forth. We're barely keeping up with them. And I'm like, yeah, that's another fish. <laughs> oh, that's another one. Another fish and another fish. But not for them. They loved it. I kept saying, well, let's watch more of the otters. No, they stink, Dad. Let's look <laughs> at more fish. Okay? But think about it as parents, right? Like, have you ever had, when, what, what, what goes on inside of you when you hear the words, I'm bored, I can't stand it? right? I'll give you something to do. <laughs> Get in the garage and clean it. <laughs> but I'm four. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Boredom was a result of the sin. It was never part of God's plan for us to be bored. And when we're in heaven, we're going to be in a situation where things are constantly be made new. Think about the first time you saw the Grand Canyon. How breathtaking it was. That is going to be a constant feeling, constantly new. We will never be bored. I promise you that. That's heaven. And again, there's so much that we don't know, we can't comprehend. There's so much that God is us holding back for us to enjoy when we get there, but we kind of have a better idea, a better picture of what it is. World made right, perfect community, companionship with God and everything made new. So what do we do with this? What do we do with Revelation? What do we do with this book that blesses us when we read it? Two things. Live for the day to be face to face with God. We have all heard, and it's in the Bible, we either heard or we've read it, that when we're God, that we want God to look at us and say, well done right? We want that. But there's a part of me that's like, I'm going to be face-to-face with God. He's going to say, well done. And I'm going to be like, but what about what I did here? What about what I did there? What about what I did in 2004, 2017? How can I be well done? God, didn't you see that? And you're not going to get an eye roll. You're not going to get a, a, a shrug, a frown. Yet You're going to have a God that's going to wipe away your tear. I've struggled with this whole idea. Why, why is there tears in heaven? Why, 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 why is that scripture there? And I tend to think that maybe he's wiping away the very last little bit of our sinful nature, that sinful nature in us that says that we don't deserve to be with God, that we don't deserve heaven, that we need to be condemned for everything we did. And God says, nope, I'm wiping that away because you are a child of God and we are now face-to-face and you have every right to be here. We need to start believing now, today, what God sees in us. We need to convince ourselves and tell ourselves that that is true, that we are a child of God, that we are redeemed, that we are his righteousness. Because if he sees that and if we don't believe that, then we are calling him a liar. And if we call him a liar, then we might just get the Jesus that's the sword. I don't want to do that. Believe what God sees in you. I don't care what you did last night, I don't care what you did before. If you've accepted Christ, you are redeemed. Live for the day to be face to face with God. And then, number two, what do we do with revelations? We live for the day to have total victory. Total victory. This is the end. We just talked about the army coming in, destroying evil, and us now coming forth and being face-to-face with God. We are redeemed. Is that enough? What do you think? Is that enough? Is that total victory? Revelations twenty-two seventeen 17 says this, that the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Who's the spirit? I'm asking you. God, Jesus. Who's the bride? We are. We are the church. We've got God and we've got the church. We're saying, come. Who are we talking to? Let me ask you a question. Is total victory, is heaven, being in heaven with God face to face in heaven, is that enough to be there without your friends and your family? Or is total victory with them as well? You know, I don't know what reality looks like and, and, and whatever, but I know the Bible does say that, that God... That Jesus wishes that not one, not one shall perish. That's his wish. That is his desire. And I don't think God wants us to live this life not accepting our friends and family with us. So what do we do? Look, yeah, we have to get evangelistic. We do. And when I say evangelistic, I'm sure some of you are like, oh, man, I don't want to stand on the street corner and preach the gospel like that guy over there. That's fine. That's fine. If that's not you, that's fine. But if that is you, don't worry about it because you're going to be able to stand on that corner with power and might evangelizing. Okay. You're not going to be alone. You'll be fine. Yep. But if that's not you, that's okay too because your mission field is your workplace, mm-hmm. it's your family, it's your neighbor, it's the kids at your school. Right. What are you doing to reach them? And again, it's not all about just like saying, you got to know Jesus. You know, Jesus wasn't really like that. No, he made sure that the door was always open. He, was, he made sure that the door was was always... Think about when your family members, neighbors, co-workers, when they're having a crisis of faith, who do you want them to come to? You or alcohol, drugs, or whatever vice people have. You want them to come to you. And the only way you're going to do that is to be a person that has that door open. And maybe to keep that door open, maybe it's kind of holding back on some of our opinions. Maybe it's not rushing to give a political opinion on what's going on in the world today because everything's complex and there's no finite answer. Now we need to be a people that keep that door open. And yeah, maybe it is foregoing some of that stuff. But we want to make sure that people come to us first in that crisis of faith so that we lead them to God. If I can have the band on the ushers, come on up. Total victory. Total victory, that means right now with what's going on in the world. You know, today we're going to take a special offering we did last week and you know there's a lot going on there's a lot going on here there's a lot going on in different places in the world and, and and yes we could we could take an offering for so many things but right now we feel like right now the pastors and the underground church in Afghanistan need it right at least that's what we feel we're called to take this offering for like i can't imagine just being a pastor and and being <laughs> in that world and having your congregations look for you to answers and you're like i'm just we're just trying to survive we're just trying to have church in a basement man i feel for them so we're taking a special offering for them so that they know that they're not alone Mm -hmm. think about it when we're in that perfect community we're going to be with them and they're going to be like man that was a rough time But thank you, Granite Creek. Thank you, Granite Creek, for stepping up and helping us out. Thank you for not, we did not feel alone, that we were isolated, that you were there for us. So Father, we ask that you bless this offering. We ask that you bless these churches, that you bless these pastors, that you protect them, that you uh, protect their congregation, protect those families, God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you find places for them to gather, safe places, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that if the enemy or anybody else comes to do them any harm, that they will be met with an army of angels protecting those places. And Father, I can't wait for the day to be with them and to talk about the craziness that was this time. But the joy of the things that we had in common. So Father, we thank you in your name. Amen. What is it gonna be like when we're in perfect community doing this, right? Doing communion in heaven, it's gonna be amazing. But until then, we do this in remembrance of what Jesus did. So if you have your communion elements, take out the bread If you are a Christ follower, if you've accepted Jesus, we ask that you do this in remembrance of him, his body in which he willingly gave up for us, that this is God in flesh, that God came down and took on everything that we take on so that he can willingly give up his body. So do that. Take this now in remembrance of him. Jesus also says in remembrance of him is to take wine, or in our case, grape juice, and to remember the blood. The very reason that we're gonna be in heaven is because of his blood, his sacrifice, so that we can be made new, perfect community, and to be face-to-face with God. So take this now in remembrance of him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Before I go, I want to read one more scripture. But if, if right now in your heart, and maybe you haven't just accepted this Jesus thing, and maybe you've thought about it, maybe you're just, you know, thinking about it, but, but whatever. But you just, you haven't fully surrendered to him. If that's you, please do not leave here today without talking to one of us. It's far too important for you to walk out this build, building and thinking that there might be another day. Because for all we know, this could all end and we're going to be in heaven next Sunday not saying that that's going to be but the possibility is there, right? Not, not saying it either. Yeah. But please, total victory is with you there, okay? The very last scripture that is written in our Bible says this, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. God wanted a people. He chose you. So live every day for that face-to-face encounter. Amen? Amen. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen.
1: a uh, quick announcement. We realized that uh, Pastor Josh accidentally said 6 o'clock tonight. The leadership meeting is at 5 o'clock tonight. (laughs) If you show up at 6 tonight, I will say goodbye to you as we are all leaving. (laughs) Have a good week, y'all. We love you.